purpose shines brightly through this darkest hour. And remember what the darkest hour is. The darkest hour where darkness was given the authority to rule and to reign for that moment was not on the cross. It was this hour here in Gethsemane. And as you remember, we have talked about this over and over again. Darkness does nothing without the approval and the authority of the light. So keep that in mind as we take a look. This is the fixed time, if you will, for God to use the sinful acts of man to accomplish his sovereign purposes for our redemption. Remember, we've talked about the divine sovereignty of God and the human responsibility of man. No one can fully grasp or understand it, but we know that God is sovereign. He's sovereign right now over COVID-19. Every aspect of what's happening around the world, God is sovereign over all of it. And yet we are responsible. And we have taken responsibility where we're not gathering now as a church. We are operating under the authority of the civil magistrates. And we are following the procedures. We want to do everything in our power as a church to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbors. And part of that is to help slow for sure the spread of the virus but God is in complete control of all things keep that in mind as we walk through now this passage Luke 22 47 to 53 in the NIV version hear now the word of God while he was still speaking a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas one of the twelve was leading them he approached Jesus to kiss him but Jesus asked him Judas are you betraying the son of man with a kiss When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts. You did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Pray with me, won't you? Father, we do come to you on our knees in prayer today. So many personal prayer requests. So many hearts that are hurting under the weight of so much uncertainty and lives that have been utterly disrupted in their routines But, Lord, we know that you are in control of all things, so we continue to look to you. So, Father, now as we gather as a church in our homes all across this county and in other places throughout this country and even the world, we come to praise and to worship you, for you are worthy of our praise and worship. And we ask now that by our mediator, the only mediator between heaven and earth, God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would receive this day all of our praise and our prayers and the preaching of your word. Fill this place and each heart in it with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we would ask that you would meet broken hearts in their deepest place of need. We know some have already been disrupted in their work lives. Some have been laid off. Jobs have been lost. School has changed for all of our children now 
to be schooled at home. And even those homeschoolers who were used to being at home, all of the outside activities have been discontinued. So, Father, we cry out to you with a heart of thanksgiving, even in dark and uncertain times, for we have the light of the world. We have the promises that are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. So come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. I think I heard you. Amen. Glory be to God. Three things we'll look at very briefly this morning under the hour of darkness. Number one, the promise for it. We need to see the promise. That shows us the power of our God who is in control of everything. Number two, the presence of it. And finally, number three, the power over it. You ready? We're going to head out into some deep water this morning and let our nets down for a catch. Number one, what was the promise? First, we need to go all the way back to the beginning. We don't have that on the screen for you, but let me just remind you in Genesis chapter 2, there was a promise made by God to Adam and to Eve. There's a tree that you ought not to eat from. And when you do, you will surely die. So there was a promise of darkness right from the beginning if Adam and Eve were to choose the way of disobedience. We know that they did. They fell. They listened to Satan, who we'll talk about in a moment. They fell. The promise was fulfilled. They died instantly spiritually and later on physically. And everything has been utterly broken since then. And that leads us to this specific hour of darkness on the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested in the garden. So let's now go back to Luke and take a look. 22, 47 to 48. While he was still speaking, remember, he's in the garden and, and he's, he's been praying. The disciples have been sleeping and he's been praying. And he comes to them and he's giving some final instructions and a crowd comes up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. You'll remember in the Gospel of John, it says that when Judas went out of the upper room, it was dark. Here we see a dark heart on a dark night performing the darkest of all deeds, betraying the Lord Jesus Christ and turning him over to the authorities. You think of the name Judas. And it is synonymous with the greatest, really almost unimaginable evil. I'll ask you the question. Have you ever been introduced by a parent to their child who says, I love you to meet my son, Judas? No, no, we, we don't name our children Judas. It is a name that is just simply synonymous with really the greatest evil the world has ever seen. That he would betray the Lord Jesus that he walked with that he talked with, that he, that he ate and fellowshiped with. But he did indeed do that. Matthew 20, 18. Here's where we want to be careful so that we understand exactly what's happening in the garden, which means we can absolutely understand what's happening right now in the world around us. None of this has caught the Lord Jesus by surprise. He has ordained all things. That happened. He ordained this in the garden, yet man was responsible in the garden 
for what it was they were about to do. So let's take a look at a few passages that give us the understanding that God's power and his purpose is put on display in the Garden of Gethsemane in this darkest of hours. Matthew 20, 18. Jesus says, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He, he knew the plan. He knew God's unfolding plan of redemption from before the foundation of the world, before there was any creation, before there was Adam and Eve, before there were any angels or any fallen angels, before anything was, God was. God always is and has been. And this plan of redemption was before the beginning. So Jesus knew the hour was coming. He knew exactly what was coming. And he turns himself over to the... How many times do we read in the scriptures that they tried to catch him, capture him, and put him to death? It wasn't his time. His hour had not come, so therefore the hour of darkness had not come. Now it's here. And he talked about it as he got closer and closer to it so that the disciples wouldn't be surprised. 2,000 years later, it should be a comfort to us, especially what, with what we're dealing with now, with COVID-19, with this virus that is spreading. God is in control. God is, God is sovereign over everything. And remember this, before there ever was COVID-19, that virus, there was a sin virus that happened back in the garden. And our God has been on purpose from the beginning, bringing Jesus to this moment, to this hour. Matthew 26, 24, he knows exactly what Judas is about to do, yet Judas is responsible for doing it. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe, do you hear that? Woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. God has a sovereign plan and Judas is in that plan. And yet Judas is responsible for the decisions that he makes. I've said before, you are because of God, but you are where you are because of the choices that you have made. God is sovereign we are responsible. Woe to the man. Woe to Judas. Yes, it fulfilled God's perfect plan and purpose for our redemption. But God was not forcing Judas to make the decisions that he made. That's what we have to remember. That's the power of understanding God's plan and purpose in this world. John six seventy. This is important. Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve Yet one of you is a devil. And then in verse 71, he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, one of the twelve who was later to betray him. Now, here's where we have to be careful. We have this repulsive picture, if you will, of, of some creature called the devil. With a couple horns on the head and a, and, and a tail in the back and a pitchfork that he's carrying. And we make up this caricature of if he's not even real. Recent Gallup poll tells us that 9 out of 10 Americans believe in God. Only 2.5 of those out of 10 believe in a real devil. They believe he's just simply symbolic. He represents evil in the world. Yet... Jesus makes it crystal clear that that's not 
true. Jesus often spoke of the devil. He said the devil is the enemy. He is the evil one. He is the accuser. He is the liar. In fact, he kept a woman bound for 18 years. There was no mistaking the Lord Jesus and his understanding of a real being called Satan. The one who tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. And here's the challenge when we have this caricature, this picture of this hideous beast. He was an angel, an anointed cherub. Ezekiel says you were beautiful beyond all measure. And the Bible in the New Testament tells us that he comes now disguised, masquerading as an angel of light. So we want to be careful that we, we, we don't, Well, let's just go to the quote from C.S. Lewis. He's going to tell us now the proper perspective that we ought to have on evil and the devil. Because we can err on one side of the other. We can err and say that, well, there's no such thing as this satanic being. Or we can be so paralyzed in thinking about him that we can't even get on with life. We see him everywhere. You put a piece of bread in the toaster and it comes out burned and, and you jump back. The devil's in the toaster. No, no, you just left the toast in there too long. That's all. He's not necessarily in the toaster, okay? So now let's take a look. C.S. Lewis, in the screw tape letters, he's going to tell us something now about how we should be able to understand, based on the biblical truths, Satan, darkness. Listen to these words. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The devil loves that. Just don't believe they're real. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. Do not be fooled, Lewis says. We have to keep our eyes on the goal and go straight through between both errors. We have no other concern than that with with either of them. What is Lewis telling us? Evil is real. Satan is real. We'll see in a moment from Scripture the powers of of, of the prince of darkness in the air. But he said, if if we fall too far on the side of evil and think that evil is in control of all things, then then we have erred that way. And and that will paralyze us. It will keep us from from doing the things God has called us to do. And yet, if we fall on the other side and say, well, it really doesn't even exist, Lewis is telling us, walk right down the middle. Know that there is evil in the world. Know that there's a real Satan. That a third of the angels were kicked out of heaven, and, and they're real, and they're around us. And yet, God is in complete control of all of that. You remember the story of Job. Nothing happened to Job until Satan came and asked God for permission. Now, I know we may not like that story. I know we read that sometimes and we go, man, we don't understand it all. Job certainly didn't understand it all. But we know that God is at work and God is good and God is in complete control. Let's take a look now. Ephesians. What does Ephesians 6 tell us? It's important to see how Paul is laying this out for us. Listen to these words. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Pause. It doesn't mean that evil doesn't take on flesh and blood. There's evil everywhere. Yes? We know that evil has flesh and blood. But he's, he's telling us to go beyond the understanding of, of just evil in this world physically. We know that there's evil. But he's saying that it's deeper than that. There's something beyond. If you stop there, then, then you're missing what's driving the whole thing. You, you've got you've to get to the root. 
So he says, our struggle is not primarily, if you will, against flesh and blood. But it's against, now notice the terms he uses. The rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Why not just say against Satan? That, that would have been enough. He's emphasizing something. He's making it clear that this is real. You need to pay attention to it. You need to understand that it exists. But as great as the evil is, there's something even greater. Greater is the power that is at work within you than any power that comes up against you. That's the promise of the gospel. But Paul, he refuses to err on either side. So now let's go further because now he's going to give us the key. Right? This is in that great put on the armor of God passage. You're familiar with that. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. Okay, what does Paul say? Is there evil? Absolutely. Are you able to stand against it? No question about it. Because you have a greater power in you than any power that comes up against you. So he says evil is real. C.S. Lewis was right. But we need to walk right down the center. Walk down the center aisle and realize there's evil. But there's a God who's in control of it. And evil can only do what God allows. We need to be reminded of that. Even now, as we are really held captive in our own homes. And our routines have changed. And as you can see, we're fasting again today, are we not? From the physical presence of the communion of the saints. And we'll do that as long as necessary so that we can love our neighbors, so that we can do what we need to do and what is it within our power to slow the spread of this virus. But make no mistake, God has ordained all things whatsoever shall come to pass. And he sits on his throne and he is at work and he is going to bring us to the other side of this. That is the promise that we have in Christ Jesus. So the first point, we see the promise of this darkness. Now let's go to number two. The presence of it right there in the midst of that dark, dark night in Gethsemane. 22, 47 to 50. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked Judas, notice, notice what Jesus does. Are you portraying the Son of Man with a kiss? You know what he's saying? You know how Jesus always asks questions? He's saying, pause for a moment. I want you to think through this. I know what you're coming to do. Have you really thought through it? You're really going to come and betray me with a kiss? You know what a kiss was, right? The sign of, of fellowship. The sign of friendship. Greet each other with a hug and a holy kiss. There couldn't be anything worse. You think how bad it is to be betrayed, but now to be betrayed with a, a kiss, it just amps up the, the pain, the evil in, in this man's heart. He could have simply... Come to the garden with, with the, the, the crowd that was with him, that he was leading it, and just simply point to the man. There he is. This is the man. But no, so evil was Judas, Satan having entered into his heart. He betrays his Lord with a kiss. And Jesus knew it was coming. And he receives it. Knowing that his father is in complete control. And that at any moment, he could have stopped everything. We'll see that. But he doesn't. Why? For you. For me. 
for all those throughout the ages who would trust in Christ alone. Moving on, Psalm 41.9. Prophecy tells us in the Old Testament exactly what was coming. So here, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread has turned against me. This really is as sinister as it is sinful. Have any of you experienced betrayal? We all have. Isn't it one thing to be betrayed by somebody that maybe would be considered an enemy or maybe just somebody you don't even know? But how hurtful are the wounds to the heart when we're betrayed by those that call us friend, those that love us, those that care for us? I think that's what we need to glean from this passage. Satan couldn't defeat Jesus. He couldn't keep him from going to the cross. So on his way to the cross, he wants Jesus to feel as bad as he possibly can. That's all he can do. Now, the same for us today. Satan can't take you out of the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not in control of what's happening right now. He wants us to think that he is. He he wants us to turn away from the Lord. But God is in control. God was in control of Judas coming into that garden, yet Judas made the decision to do what he did. Remember the song in Christ Alone? Light of the world by darkness slain. We sing that often. In Christ Alone, light of the world by darkness slain. Evil had its moment so that we would have our eternity. That's the promise of the gospel. Moving on to 49 and 50, when Jesus' followers saw this, now, don't miss this, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? A couple of them had some swords with them. Should we strike? And one of them, and we know from the other gospel accounts, it was Peter, and you would expect Peter, one of them struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his ear. Give me, let me give you a question. Question. Do you think Peter was aiming for the ear? And it was such a good aim, lopped off that right ear. And the right one, by the way, right. Notice Luke gives us the detail. It's the right ear. The doctor is going to give us the specifics of which ear. No. What was Peter trying to do? Trying to lop his head off. But even the Lord Jesus was in control of that. He could have put his head back on, but why go that far? So he lets Peter take an ear. Right, right. So, So here's the evil. He's got Judas betraying him, and now he has Peter trying to take the hands of the kingdom of God in his own strength. Lord, we will fight, and we will resist this evil, and we will conquer through the use of our swords. It's almost hard to believe. Let's go back. I want to show you a parallel. There's an echo. I know you hear an echo. You think about the first... Exodus redemption and now this second Exodus redemption that's coming. I, I know there's an echo that you're going to hear. Let's go to Exodus 2, 11 to 12. Let's look at another giant of the faith and how he tried to do God's work in his own strength. Ready? Exodus 2, 11 to 12. Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. He killed him and hid him in the sand. What was Moses doing? He, he was rising up for God's people. What was Peter doing? Rising up for God himself and God's people. 
How are they both doing it? In their own strength. And what does God say about that? Well, no, no, no. We'll have none of this. So he sends Moses on the backside of the desert for 40 years. 40 years to get him ready. Remember, when Moses was about to kill that, that Egyptian, it said, the Bible says he looked this way and he looked that way. Not until Moses was ready to look only one way. Up at God himself. And that took 40 years to get him ready. Peter's doing the exact same thing. He takes a swing at the high priest's servant and lops off his ear. His heart was right. Moses' heart was right. They meant well. They wanted to help God's people, but they didn't understand God's way. The Bible says, my ways are not your ways. You don't understand my ways. They're too high for you. So Moses and Peter, they love God. They're trying to be helpful, but they're trying in their own strength. And God steps in and stops them both. Romans 12, 2. Don't miss this. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. One of the great arguments of the contemporary skeptic today, when we're talking about the gospel and Christianity and and the power of, 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 of loving the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in, in these truths. They say, look how much damage religion has done throughout the centuries. And they point to the crusades. And, and they point to the things that, that, that people did in the name of God. They weren't working for God. They weren't serving God in his strength. They were working out of the sinful acts of their own hearts. God did not sanction the Crusades any more than he sanctioned Peter lopping off the, the, the high priest's servant's ear or Moses killing the Egyptian. We mess it up. We do stuff we ought not to do. But even in those sinful acts, God is still in complete control. God is still over everything that is taking place. So he stops... For a moment, to do something almost unimaginable on this, the darkest of hours. Which brings us to point number three. The power over it. Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Pause. It, 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 you can't just let that go by. Just leave the ear on the ground. Leave it there. This guy's your enemy. He's, come, he's, he's one of the leaders. He's, he's, he's the high priest servant. He's out in front. He's, stand, he's behind you. Just leave the ear on the ground. Too bad he didn't get the whole head. No. No. Even in the darkest hour, Jesus pauses to show compassion. And he heals the man's ear. Why? Because of his love. He loves what? Even his enemies. It's what he teaches us. It's easy to love those who love you. It's almost impossible to love those who hate you. These are the ones who have come 
to arrest him, to beat him, to scourge him, to put a crown of thorns on his head, to nail him to a cross, to spit on him, to ridicule him. And he pauses in this moment to heal the man's ear. It's instructive. The gospel, our Lord Jesus Christ is at work in even the darkest moments of life. And even in the hearts of those who hate him. That's what we have to remember. That's why this is so instructive. So he heals the ear. But notice, now he turns his attention to those in ultimate authority. He looks at the chief priests and the officers and the temple guard and the elders who had come for him. And now listen. Here he goes again asking powerful questions that cause his audience to pause and to think. Judas, does thou betray us, the son of man with a kiss? Think through this. So now he says to the leaders, am I leading a rebellion? Is that what I'm doing? That you have come with swords and clubs. Pause. They've come out with torches and lanterns seeking the light of the world in the garden. They come with swords and clubs seeking the prince of peace. And he says, am I leading a rebellion that you would come out armed like this with so many men? Is, is the, every day, notice what he says, e- every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. Why? Well, unreally beknownst to you, you couldn't. But now, now is your hour when darkness reigns. This is the hour. Every hour of my life led up to this hour. Where my father would allow darkness to have its moment. That's the power of understanding the gospel. Matthew 26, 53 to 54. Do not think I cannot call. Listen, don't miss this. On my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Twelve legions of angels. One angel. One angel conquered 185,000 Assyrians in the Old Testament. He says, I've got twelve legions my father can send. It's not needed. It's not our plan. This is not the way forward. Because if I save myself, which I can do at any moment, I cannot save you. The only way that I can save you is to give myself up. John, we go to John for this because this is so powerful, especially in these moments that we're dealing with what we're, we're going through right now as a, as, a, as a world, not just a country. And not just a community, but around the world with this virus spread. Listen to these words. Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment. So, so John's going to give us a little different insight. A detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. 
Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am, in the original says, but here we've added the word he. I am, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. Gives you the picture now. Jesus has traded sides. He's gone over to the dark side. It's instructive. We see Judas standing there with the dark side. When Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. He doesn't need the legions of angels. He could have put the cup away. He doesn't need to drink the cup. And just speaking a word. Remember at the beginning of the scriptures? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. No matter how dark it gets in your life, there's light. God speaks light and life into us. Not just daily, but moment by moment. He says, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. And they fall to the ground. With just a word, they fall to the ground. The power in the word of God. Well, that brings us to our close. I want to give you a quote from the Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien. And then I want to try to just give you a few words to unpack that. And then we'll go to our gospel invitation. This is a powerful scene that speaks into our lives today. Some of you right now might be thinking, I, I don't know how long I can stay in the house with, 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 with all the kids. We, we're thinking a little bit of that. And certainly our kids are saying, I, we, we, we got to get out. Some aren't working right now. Everything has changed. You go to the grocery store and it's hard to find anything. You, you, can, you can get depressed and despondent. And you can almost at some point feel hopeless. I want to show you a scene. I want to give you these words. There's so much that we can learn from it. There's so much biblical truth in the Lord of the Rings. The conflict between evil and good. Darkness and light and good always wins because God is good and there is no power greater than God ready Frodo and Sam are our best friends and Frodo overwhelmed now with the ring and the darkness and the evil and the sin and the destruction and he finally, he, he's, he's ready to give the ring up and just simply give up himself. He's had enough. And so he says these words. I can't do this, Sam. And Sam says, I know it's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, the ones that really mattered Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? 
How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out all the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I now know folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something, that there is some good in this world And it's worth fighting for. Much of that scene can speak into our lives today. Here's two things that I want you to take from that scene. First, it's okay to cry out. It's okay to to share your heart. The psalmists tell us time and time again, cry out to God. Don't suppress your feelings and your thoughts. At times, we, we, we can feel hopeless. And we can cry out in that hopelessness to God. And feel like we, we just don't think we can go on. How, what if this lasts for, for six months? What are we going to do? It's okay to cry out. We learn that not just from that passage from Frodo, but we learn that from the scriptures. Cry out to God. There are times, as the psalmist says, where darkness seems to be my only friend, which means I don't even sense you anymore. I don't even know if you're here. That's okay. Cry out. But there's another point in that cry. Look out and look up as you cry out, cry up, look to God, trust in God. In your grief, look to God. In your sadness, see your Savior. In your hopelessness, hang on to your hope. God is with you. God is for you. And God is in you. Yes, these are dark times. Yes, they are uncertain to us. But keep looking to the one who is in control of every aspect of our lives, of the entire universe. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. We're in the middle of trouble. It's everywhere. But he said, take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. I went to a cross. And I died. So that death would die. In my death. And that sin would be stopped in my death. Here's the promise. We live in what we call the already and and the not yet phase of the kingdom. 
we know that we are already in the kingdom of God, but it is not yet fully glorified. So we still have to deal with sin and Satan and death. But inasmuch as Satan no longer reigns, he still remains. But he's not more powerful than God. And he can only do what God allows him to do. This virus will only go as far as God allows and no further. Look up as you cry out. And remember, greater is the power that is at work within you. The resurrection power that a dead man got up and walked out of a grave. Greater is that power in you than any power you will come up against. We're a strong people in this country. We can fight through this. The world is worth fighting for. Why? Because God made the world. And everything he made was good. Yes, there's bad in the world. And there's sin. And there's sickness. And there's death. But it's worth fighting for. Because we have the promise of a new world. A new heavens and a new earth. Well, there will be no more sickness and no more sorrow and no more death. That day is coming, beloved. Stay strong. Look to Christ. Let's love our neighbors. Let's pray. These are opportunities for the gospel to spread like never before. When people are looking out and they see nothing but utter chaos and hopelessness, we have the message of hope. The Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of all hopes, the peace that passes all understanding. If you're watching right now and you've never had that hope, right now is a moment of invitation. With outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Christ has come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. All of us are weary and heavy laden today. But if you never come to Christ, come to Christ by grace through faith. Trust in Christ alone. Don't trust in your good works. Don't trust in the good stuff that you've done and in the service you've put. Trust in Christ alone. He came to take our place on a cross, our substitution, where God gave him our sin and all those who trust in him, we get his righteousness. That's eternal life. That's the promise of the gospel. Pray with me if you've never prayed before to receive Jesus. And know this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And anyone that comes, he says, I will never cast you out. Will you come to Christ? Let's pray. Father, if there's anyone right now, by way of the internet, the live stream, who has never surrendered control to Christ, make this a moment of salvation. Give the gift of repentance and faith. Raise them from death to life. Pray these simple words. God, I heard the gospel today. I heard the truth I am struggling. I'm in a very difficult season of life right now, Lord. But I heard the truth today, and I heard the hope that's in that truth, and I trust in Christ alone. Pray these words. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And salvation is yours today. And now for the rest, those of you who are in Christ, those of you who have been walking with Christ, keep looking to the author and perfecter of your faith. Nothing is caught in by surprise. 
God did not leave his throne for a while. This virus, just like every other virus in the world and every other bad thing that happens is simply a result of the promise back in the garden. On the day that you eat it, you will die. Everything died. The entire universe is broken. But God said there's a day coming. In the not so distant future, John said, and I saw the new heavens and the new earth coming down. It's coming down with Christ. Whether it's today or a thousand years from today, the promise is yes and amen in Christ. Oh, beloved, keep looking to Jesus. And all these things we thank our Lord and Savior for. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Sleep.
team sounded like hundreds and hundreds of voices thank you we just sang it Jesus your name is power there's power in the name of Jesus of all the attributes of God in Scripture, you never see it written that God is love, 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 mercy, 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 grace, 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 and He is all of that. But we just sang it. He is holy, holy, holy. And unholiness has been crushed on that cross. Evil has been defeated. Death has been destroyed. Jesus, your name is power. We miss you. We love you. And Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week, live streaming, until the Lord brings us back together as a family of faith. Until then, receive now the benediction of our God. And now, to Him, to Him, the one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere present, to Him who is able 
to do immeasurably more than all we could ask, imagine, or even begin to hope for according to the power that is at work within us, the Lord Jesus Christ, to him be honor, glory, majesty, and dominion now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you all. Go in peace. peace. And that's for Derek and Margot.